Hello and welcome to another edition of the Moving Iron Podcast. This podcast is proudly provided by Axon, helping dealers move more iron for almost 100 years. Find out more at axontire.com. Axon was started almost 100 years ago out of a passion for keeping agriculture moving. It's that same passion that drives them today. With a vision for a better experience for both farmer and dealer, they set out to create a better way to move more iron. When you partner with Axon, you get immediate access to a full range of products and solutions designed to meet the complex needs of today's grower. Axon carries all major brands and sizes of tires, wheels, and tracks. From custom colors and sizes to fully customized wheels, you can have the solution for virtually any problem today's farmer is trying to solve. To find more or become an Axon dealer, please visit axontire.com. Moving iron in the 21st century. Hardworking people working hard for you and me. Moving iron time and time again. Through the years you'll find us here. Moving iron. Hello and welcome to Moving Iron Podcast. This edition of the Moving Iron Podcast is brought to you by Axon Tire, helping dealers move more iron for the past 100 years. For more information, go to axontire.com. Also, Tractor Zoom. If you're in the business of equipment or have equipment and you're interested in see what's happening in the auction market and understanding which way the trend lines are starting to develop, check out Iron Comps. Uh, from Tractor Zooms, and if you decide that's what you want to move forward with, use Moving Iron at checkout, and you get yourself a nice little discount. This week, I have Sean Hackett back. He's nice enough to come on and talk about what's going on in the marketplace, and he is with Hackett Financial out of Boca Raton, Florida. Sean um, has been on the show for, I don't know, two and a half years now or so, and ever since he's been on, there's been plenty of uh, plenty of stuff to talk about, and yesterday's report on Wednesday, um, really was no uh, no uh, no letdown of things to talk about. So if you go kind of go back, kind of re- revamp the week here for a minute. Monday and Tuesday, you saw you saw markets trending down. Tuesday uh, went down quite a bit, and then um, you see this this uh, per, uh, proposed acreage planning report come out, as well as um, the quarterly stocks report come out, and there's plenty of plenty of action there, Sean. So what's your so today's Thursday, so if you take a look at kind of so far this week, kind of give me your reaction to what you saw out of that report and, and leading up to the report. It just goes to show that trying to predict USDA reports is, is a it's, – it's foolish to try to do it. You know, I mean, and that's why we don't try to predict what the USDA is going to say because whatever the truth is, um, it, it doesn't matter because – the USDA has its methodologies. It, it's going to continue to use the methodologies. And so every single year for, I can't remember how long, Casey, the average analyst estimate never gets this number right, ever, ever. There are always millions of acres off one way or the other, and we always go limit up or limit down. Um, so in this case, <laughs> the USDA uh, <laughs> right. said that we couldn't find 4 million acres that everyone thought we we're going to get planted, and <clears throat> the market – uh, was not expecting that, and so we got the reaction you would expect, especially in the deferred contract. You know, the December corn and the November soybeans actually got jacked up more overnight trade than the uh, the nearby, which you would expect. Because we've talked about those discounts to us didn't make a whole lot of sense. So, so the markets moved the market up. We've gotten the reaction, and now the market's going to do what it always does. Well, it's going to look at weather and see if we're going to get this crop planted, and we think we're going to have very good planting weather. We're going to make rapid pace. 
And I think some of the fear is going to go away because if you're if the planters are rolling, the weather's good, those acres get planted, they're going to start adding those millions of acres back on over time. So we think probably there's not a whole lot of upside uh, remaining here after this initial reaction, so long as the weather for planting is good. And we think our projection is it's going to be a very, very good planting season. So, so, but, but it's a reminder, Casey, I think we talked about this before we started that uh, if you just run the balance sheet, if you, if you assume the 87 million acres of soybeans are correct and you assume the demand that we've had is going to continue for a year. Maybe it will, maybe it won't, but we don't have, we'll have zero carry out next year. Zero. That's not good. We already have zero going into this year, into yep. this summer. We're going to have zero next year. Now, if we put those 2 million acres back on that everyone thought was supposed to be there, we'll have 100 million acres, 100 million bushels of carry out, which really is nothing. So what it says is, even if we get those acres back, and we have trend line yields, we're still not going to have any soybeans. So, so either um, we got to plant more than those 2 million acres, or we have to get uh, you know, prices up to a level where the demand backs away. And, and, and so that, that is the plight of the soybean market, Casey. It's just the balance sheet doesn't really work very well if you assume that China's going to continue to buy you know, like they have been, it just doesn't, the balance sheet does not work very well. And that's assuming, Casey, that we have a trend line yield. Right. <laughs> if the market right. worries yeah. that we're going to be one, two, or three bushel to take below trend, we are deeply in negative territory on soybeans. Yep. So, so let's do the same exercise for corn, right? All right. So, so if you run the balance sheet on corn, if, if, if you assume the, the, that we lose 2 million acres, 91 versus 93, uh, then we get ourselves down to a billion, slightly under a billion bushels of corn ending stocks for the following summer. Um, I think only 2012 we ever got under a billion, and and that was when demand was a lot smaller than it is today. So for corn, under a billion bushels is really bare minimum pipeline levels. We really almost cannot get much below, you know, 800 million or a billion without the system not running very well. So so if you put the two million back on. So, okay, so we get up to, what, a billion two? And that's if you have a trend line yield at 180, by the way. That means that you have a really good yield, good, you know, and um, uh, uh, once again, if, if, if we're five bushels to the acre or 10 bushels to the acre off, I mean, we're buying corn from South America like we did in 2012 because we won't have enough. The reality is I think the bigger story about this acreage report wasn't the acres themselves. The acres are going to get planted it's reminded everybody that the balance sheets aren't working right now and they're not really working anywhere else either, by the way. <laughs> right. That's exactly, that's the point I was going to make. Yeah. It's tied around the world. So no matter what you do anywhere, if, you know, the whole idea that, you know, the old adage, if uh, the U S economy gets a, uh, gets a cough, the rest of the world gets the flu. But right now, if anybody has anything, they all have the flu, and it's it's uh, it just depends on what level of flu you have, and it's it's uh, it's a bad deal right now. When you look at, especially when you look at growing conditions, if, if as these drought conditions continue to worsen. Yeah, and, and it was interesting though. You know, we looked at some charts from China, right? Because they have a, an excruciatingly tight feed market, right? Rice feed demand is soaring the last eighteen months. They're actually feeding rice to animals and wheat demand for feed wheat demand is soaring in China because that's what they're substituting. And you know that everyone else is substituting 
what they can. And so, so, so what the market's job is to try to find ways to shove feed demand elsewhere to fill these holes, chop down ethanol production. I mean, you know, that's going to have to be done, right? They're going to have to try to cut, you know, get, get two or 300 million bushels off the top there. I mean, the market's just going to have to try to find ways to chip away at this, um, you know, to try to make this work. And unfortunately, I, I think they could, I think they could find a way if we were going to have a good crop, but I don't think we're going to have a good crop case. I think we're going to have a crop well below trend. And, and so, you know, we, we can argue what the price is, but, you know, I, I think that, you know, we're going to find ourselves with a July high quite a bit higher than we've seen that thus far. You yeah. know, I do, I do think we have to, we have to be ready for that. Yep. So, yep. Yeah. And that's, uh, you know, necessarily higher prices don't necessarily cure problems that that ail you and there's a lot of things that go into that and as much as i want farmers to be profitable but at the same time there's all these other things that play into high prices so really high prices have present a different kind of problem than you see on the lower price side so it's just a it's a kind of trading well, one for the other a little bit unless you have your inputs locked in well, that's true yeah very true. few farmers actually participate in these uh in these in, in the in the rise up in price but the way they can they actually can make a lot of money and the way we have advised them in the past during these times is when you get to that blow off top mm-hmm. you know, when you're able to identify you know that we're near that blow off top um you get them to sell a couple of years out because what happens then the price crashes the inputs crash but they've locked in that price that's actually how they really make a lot of money is that they have the forethought to sell Two years out on the curve when the blow-off top comes. Yeah. Um, other than that, it's very hard to make money because you're chasing higher rents, you're chasing higher equipment, you're chasing higher seed, you're chasing higher fertilizer, and 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 so it's like here's the price, and then your margin is just being eroded month after month after month. You know? Yeah, yeah. It's going to be uh, something interesting to watch how that all plays out. So yeah, that that thing there. So so let's jump back in and talk about some of these acreage report, the the actual numbers that came out of the acreage report. Sure. So so wheat. You saw a big climb in wheat. You saw rice had a had a big jump. Um, sorghum had a big jump, um, and cotton didn't really change. So I was kind of shocked by that a little bit. Not so much shocked that I was like, "Oh my god!" But I figured you'd see some, maybe some kind of coming off with cotton a little bit, and because it's kind of riding on that. How long is the U.S. going to keep China from um, sell, or selling China cotton based on the fact of their child labor laws and all these kind of things? So talk about just the actual acreage report itself and what you saw happen there well remember when, <clears throat> when this acreage report was uh, when the survey right was mm-hmm. given a uh, cotton price was 10 cents higher <laughs> right. <laughs> right. So right that's true yeah. now cotton prices are 10 cents lower and now grain prices you know corn soy prices are you know quite a bit higher so i think they're gonna lose acres now mm-hmm. i think cotton acres when we get to the june report I think we'll we'll give some of those acres away because of the the, the the ratios have changed dramatically in just the last few weeks since the survey was given. So I I think we are going to get that reduction now, and I think the cotton market is looking around and saying we can do that because um, the demand from China has started to weaken, and it, it looks like uh, cotton acres are going to give it up to corn, soybeans. That's the first thing. Now we did lose uh, rice acres. Mm-hmm. Um, I think they were down 15%. Uh, they should be down more. I think they will be down more. Um, 
if you look at this, been a lot of rain in Arkansas, a lot right. of rain in the deep south where they're trying to get the crop planted. So that right there tells you they're going to not plant as many acres as they want. And now, of course, the rice egg, the rice price has been flat. Corn soybean prices have gone through the roof. We're going to lose more. We're going to lose more. We're going to be closer to that 20%, 25% decline in rice acres when we get to the June report. So, so, so we're going to give some up there. And then Minneapolis wheat, they did move um, acreage down. Uh, but you know, once again, if you look at where Minneapolis wheat traded and where the corn soybean, you know, I, I said, I, and, and if you look at how dry it is there, we're trying to get the Minneapolis wheat crop in the ground. I think we're going to lose some acres there. So, so we're going to chip away at these crops that are not as profitable, that are not as uh, lucrative, and we're going to force those acres the other way um, to make sure, just in case the USDA is correct, that the farmer gets some gets a few of those million acres back because we really can't afford to have the acreage that they proposed yesterday. The balance sheets really don't work at all. They don't really work that much if we add some acres, but they work. They, at least we have a better shot. So, so those crops are counter. I, I think those crops have the the prices for those crops. I think are going to start to do pretty well um, as the market source starts to dial in a lower acreage number for each of these crops. And if we get into a drought cycle for in Texas and in Min and, and we continue in Minnesota and North Dakota, you know, those, those crops could have some big potential to the upside. They actually might outperform Casey, because if you lose acres and you lose yield, you know, it's a double whammy for those markets. So I, I'd pay a close attention to those periphery markets. They may be one of the better places to be as we go through the planting season this year. So, Right on. Okay. All right, so let's jump over and talk about hog market is doing well. They've got, they've got a lot of stuff going for them. Cattle prices have turned that corner, and they're starting to see some, some higher prices tick up. Box beef and those kind of things are starting to take off. All signs of the, you know, the opening of the economy and those kind of things. Now, that stuff's all well and good until you start looking at you know right now we're at i can't remember what i see my ticket at this morning but where where corn's at i mean you start looking at that five seventy five six dollar corn all of a sudden you start putting some big pressure on the cattle producer what's your thoughts there on the on the protein complex you know we've we've said for quite a while and i'm and many many times on your program that you know we were looking for you know seasonal spring highs you know april high maybe an early may high in hog uh, and cattle prices, and uh, the idea was that you know this this surge in demand from reopening the vaccines, uh, refilling the, the the food service business, uh, you know, uh, uh, food reserves, all that sort of thing is all happening. Um, but yeah, if you get corn, you, know, you get feed, pro you get corn in the sixes, you get bean meal taking off, and you know it, it, it's gonna it's gonna force the liquidation cycle, Casey. That's what always happens is you get the herd liquidation cycle because. It's it, all you're doing by feeding animals. If you can't make money on them, is 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 making losses even greater, and and that's not something you're going to do for very long, and so that sets up the potential for some pressure in these livestock prices into the summer, into the fall, and we're worried about that because we really think this drought cycle is going to cause prices that are that are not going to work for the livestock producer, and um, and uh, so 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 uh, prices for hogs are fantastic. Anybody who's in the hog business can lock in a good price for the rest of the year and be, be, do very, very well. Um, cattle prices are starting to get attractive. We still think there's a good shot, if you look at the June contract, for 
kind of that 125, 130. We've talked about that price level for a while. Mm -hmm. We think we're going to get that. And that, to me, would be a, a place that the that I would be looking to lock that in and, and, and then kind of, you know, kind of bowing down the hatches for, for, for this unfortunate feed situation on there, you know, that um, I, I thought we were going to have a big break this spring. You know, I thought there was a shot at that, but it looks like maybe this acreage report is not is going to allow for the market to remain high and not really give us that break that I thought was going to give these livestock producers a chance to buy in. And if that's the case, you know, then they're not going to get that opportunity to, to, to get themselves in a better spot. And that makes it makes, makes the herd liquidation cycle that much more pronounced when we get there, you know? Yep. Yep. Yeah. A lot of, a lot of moving parts here. So let's talk about, let's jump down and talk about Brazil. We've talked about Brazil quite a bit on here, especially where they're at with this second corn, uh, corn, uh, uh, me and my brain. Yeah. I swear to God, Sean, <laughs> second, <laughs> second corn crop <laughs> have, have one where it's at right now and moving into, uh, pollination what we're going to see here you know this next couple of months this april may june time frame for this this next corn crop is a pretty big deal um again feeding back into all the stuff we just talked about with the corn supply and how tight it is worldwide thoughts about brazil what you see happen down there don't look good casey they plan the crop a month late they plan the crop past ideal dates that every day they they plant a day later than that they lose yield mm -hmm. All the weather maps look bone dry for late April into May, which is when most of the crops going to pollinate. It does not look good. It does not look good. It's not going to be good. You know, they'll produce some corn, but it's they're not going to. Remember, they depleted themselves last year, right? Yeah, of corn. So, so the, the number one priority for Brazil is to is to keep some of this corn for themselves, so they can feed their own livestock. Right. Um, but the exportable supplies are not going to be there, Casey. They're just not going to be there. They'll, they'll they'll sell some corn, but they're not going to have. It'll be way down from last year. So once again, we talked about no one has a lot of corn. They're not going to have a lot of from backup corn, so. not completed. And whatever is available, it's going to be a, it's going to be available a month, month and a half later than normal. So so you just keep adding things onto the pile here. Um, you know, it's just uh, it does not look good. Yeah. All right. So you know, we talk about Ukraine, Russia, Black Sea areas over there, major corn or major wheat growing areas of the world. Um, They've got some timely rains. They've got some things like that. But just like everywhere else, it's not quite enough. What you see happening in, in uh, Europe, especially in <clears throat> Europe and in France, in those areas, again, um, you're starting to see some some true signs of, of what this drought's starting to look like. Talk about those areas and, and kind of what your expectation is moving forward out of there. Remember that. European wheat stocks to usage are at their lowest level in 40 years, which means they have no wheat, none. So, so I do think they'll have a better go of it than we will um, in terms of, you know, the, the, maybe the, the conditions will be a little more favorable, but they're, they're, their ending stocks are so low that they're going to want to stockpile a good, a fair bit. Um, and, and, and so there, I don't see them being a major massive exporter of wheat. I mean, they'll, they'll export some wheat and, but because they're, they're, they're starting from such a low point, uh, of their wheat stocks, um, it's just not going to allow for it. I mean, they're They're going to do what they need to do first, which is make sure they have enough wheat for themselves and then sell the rest. Um, but I don't see anything there offering a, uh, a respite here to the, to the overall feed grain shortage. I don't think that's going to bail us out i don't think australia even though their crop is back to normal 
you know, double from what it was the last couple of years when they had drought. On the, when you look at the big picture, that helps, but it's not going to be enough to off the, the losses elsewhere are so large in feed that uh, it's just not going to change the framework that we don't have enough feed to go around right now. Yep. All right. So let's jump over and talk about oil price real quick. Uh, Suez Canal's back open. Looks like there's um, just they got it opened up yesterday. It looks like, and they're down about thirty three ships from what they had backed up down there. So they're only down. I think there's like three hundred and some ships waiting to go through the through the canal. Oil prices have not really responded to that like I thought they would. But I guess when you look at that oil price now going through this this kind of uh this driving season this summer season that we see coming up where more and more people are have cabin fever and they're going to get out what are your thoughts about you know gas and and diesel and and oil prices moving through the next couple of months i mean demand is going to continue to improve i mean i think that's you know we're at six dollar barrel oil versus 40 i mean you know the market is sensing we're going to have some better demand the the, the problem with crude oil on the, on the short term is there's tons of spare capacity in the middle east and in uh, Saudi Arabia, they have tons of excess capacity that at any moment they can turn on and flood the market with oil whenever they want. Mm-hmm. I think they're having a meeting yesterday or today, I think today maybe, to try to decide how they're going to calibrate this. So, you know, rallies are going to be capped here until they, until demand gets strong enough that we use up, start using up their spare capacity. They're just going to cap it. You know, it gets too high. They're just going to, they're going to threaten or they're going to turn on the spigots and, so, you know, we think that upper $60 barrel area that where we were before we dropped $10 a barrel, we think that's, I don't believe that Middle East will allow that to, to go higher. They want to keep a price in this comfort range where we're not going to go crazy overproducing, but it's very profitable for them. And yet it's not so high that it hurts the global economy, but it's not so low that it hurts them. So I think right. we're stuck in a trading range, quite frankly, in crude oil between, let's say, mid-50s and upper 60s, like that's where we're going to stay. And I think this, the Middle East, Saudi Arabia can control that price at least into through the summer before maybe demand uh, uses up their spare capacity. So Right on. Well, Sean, it's good stuff as usual. If folks want to reach out to you and get more information about what Hackett Financial can do for them and, and, their, and their operation, what's the best way to do that? Our website is Hackett, H-A-C-K-E-T-T, advisors.com. We have interviews with you, with Real Vision. We have sample reports, white papers uh, to give you a really good look of what we do to see if some of the information we put out might be of value to your listeners. Right on. Well, I appreciate you being on the, on the podcast, Sean. I always love being on it. It's a, it's a, I, I love and breathe this stuff, as you know, and, uh, and, and I think we're going to continue to have a lot to talk about over the next 18 months. Yeah, so. I, don't, I don't think we're going to have any lack of content, so no. <laughs> I think we're going to be okay there. I think so. All right. I'm Casey Seymour with Moving Iron Podcast. Make sure you check me out on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. That's where you're going to find the latest edition of the Moving Iron Podcast. Also, go to movingironpodcast.com not movingironpodcast.com that doesn't exist it's movingironllc.com that's where you need to go to find all the latest editions of the moving iron podcast as well as all the blog posts that you have up there um all the information about the moving iron summit coming up in nashville tennessee sean's going to be there he's going to be talking about some really great stuff and uh we're going to have a, a great opportunity to see um some of the stuff that um dr zarkova talked about in the interview that sean and i did with her Sean and I are actually trying to pin down some dates here to get the uh, the third installment of uh, of that of that uh, 
interview together. So, Sean, I'm looking forward to that. So that's going to bring some some real good information to uh, uh, kind of kind of like the icing on the cake of what we talked about in the first interview. Yeah, it's gonna it's gonna take the first two series and really tie it all up and and really you know put the, put the final finishes on so everyone truly understands how everything's working together here with the sun with the plants how how the greenhouse gases play in solar forcing all these things and really get an idea of how our climate works from somebody that's just you know quite <laughs> quite brilliant in in the topic and and I'm really looking forward to seeing what she has to say about this final you know this final part three series i think it's going to be as as informative as the less the first two were so. absolutely yeah, i'm looking forward to it so i think it's going to be a good deal so also check out the dryland farmer podcast make sure you listen to uh uh the guys over there they're going to make you have something fun to listen to throughout the day that's it's like the seinfeld of podcasts it's really about nothing so you're gonna <laughs> you're gonna enjoy it so 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 with that i am casey seymour with sean hackett let's go with some iron folks out you want to have a meaningful competitive advantage to help sell more equipment. Whether you represent the sales, parts, or management department of an implement dealership, there's a surprising amount of complexity when it comes to tire, wheel, and track technology. Let Axon worry about that so you can get back to supporting your customers. Axon has leveraged years of experience to create a streamlined process that gives you a proven path to help today's grower and sell more equipment. The roots of their organization go back almost 100 years to the invention of the rubber tractor tire. Supporting agriculture is the number one driver of Axon from product development through sales and service. To find more or become an Axon dealer, head over to axontire.com. Moving higher in the 21st century. Hardworking people working hard for you and me. Time and time again Through the years you'll find us here Moving on